0: But i'm about to make it work without you you look into my eyes and lie those pretty eyes and
1: pretty Welcome to a Cheese Set on 1059 the region I'm your host Candace Sampson Is it safe to say we're officially in the festive season now with Halloween and Remembrance Day behind us I have my lights up the tree is not far behind and i'm curled up almost every night with a hot beverage and a hallmark christmas movie As the calendar marches ever closer to Santa's arrival, I might be a little eager to start the countdown. When do you slip into holiday mode? That's the question we're asking over on the What She Said Facebook page today, so be sure to jump on over after today's show to chime in. But first, stick around because it's another great show this week, starting with Ritu Basin, who recently found herself the target of online hatred after Laura Ingraham on Fox News featured her in one of her diatribes. President of Pacine Consulting, Inc., an award-winning speaker, author, and expert in diversity and inclusion, Ritu joins me today to discuss her experience receiving hate for trying to teach loving principles. In RBC's She's the Boss this week, I speak with Tracy Cluttle from Painted Warriors, an outdoor adventure company that reconnects people to the land through wilderness education, hands-on training, Indigenous traditions, and stories. Tracy shares the origin story of Painted Warriors and how it became a popular experience for many through the pandemic. And Brody joins me with a preview of three powerful films, including Benedict Cumberbatch, who unleashes Phil, a psychotic rancher in Montana's Wild West circa 1925 in The Power of the Dog, Michael Keaton, who plays Dr. Samuel Phoenix in Disney Plus's Dope Sick, about the true story behind Purdue Pharmaceuticals and their massively addictive drug OxyContin, And Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd star in Apple Plus TV's The Shrink Next Door, which takes a look at the weirdly codependent relationship between a psychiatrist and his patient that spanned almost 30 years until a journalist exposed the truth. My next guest is a teacher, social justice advocate, gender-bending, hat-wearing, running shoe fanatic who loves to use sarcasm, wit, and a little intelligence to educate the masses on her wildly popular TikTok account, Unlearned 16. Joanna Johnson is dedicated to having the hard conversations without the anger and rage that stops so much of our dialogue today and joins me to discuss how she's teaching healthy debate in the classroom and on TikTok. As part of what she said's continued partnership with New Roots Herbal, we're taking a closer look at our mobility today. Despite what you may have heard, joint pain and stiffness does not have to be a fact of life. There is so much that you can do to prevent it and even reverse it so that you can stay active and get back to doing what you love to do. Dr. Caitlin Richardson joins me to share tips for prevention, maintenance, and recovery. Finally, gift giving is top of mind for all of us right now as the holiday season draws nearer and finding a gift with meaning is always challenging. Tina Fanzo, founder and owner of Fight for Five Charity Bracelets, has a solution. She joins me to share the inspiration behind her impactful business that will have you crossing off two important things off your Christmas list this year. The perfect gift and giving back. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. And here I go. Many of us, especially those of us in the public eye, fear being publicly cancelled, called out, or targeted, and having the digital mob come calling. Aside from the emotional toll, there is also a real fear of physical violence when hordes of people start to send threatening messages. My next guest, unfortunately, is all too familiar with this reality. Called out on Fox News by one of their more antagonistic hosts, Rithu Basin, woke up one day to thousands of openly hostile messages. President of Piscine Consulting, Inc., an award-winning speaker, author, and expert in diversity and inclusion, Rithu joins me today to discuss her recent experience. Welcome back to the show, Rithu. Thank you so much for having me Candace. So let's set this up for people listening. Um this happened on October 12th roundabout uh and what happened? Wow.
2: So this uh so I went to bed on a Tuesday night and uh, by the way everyone do not judge my sleep uh patterns my sleep health practices. I know they're bad and I have to revamp them. It's a work in progress. But before I go to bed, like a lot of you probably do or not supposed to, I check my email and then I go onto Instagram and I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I did it. And so I, ch- as I go to check my email, I got a notification from one of the, the social media platforms and someone had sent me a mean message because I could see it in my email inbox. And I was like, that's strange. I I don't get a lot of hate mail. I thought it was strange. I went, I checked it. I, I was like, that's a mean thing to say to me. And I deleted it. And then I went on to Instagram and there were more there. And I was like, this is strange, but I didn't really connect the dots. I went to bed. I woke up Wednesday morning and my team member, she was up and at it earlier than I was and had sent an email to the full team saying, everyone, OMG, I woke up this morning and she's the one who manages our email inbox as well uh, through our website and had just been flooded with hate messages we and she figured out what had what had happened which is that Laura Ingram uh, on her evening show the night before had done a 10 minute segment on exposing the DEI racket diversity equity inclusion racket and calling out professionals who work in this space like me and calling out the the ills of critical race theory and she had She did a minute-long spotlight on me and my work, including showing a video of me talking about the definition of white supremacy and racism.
1: And that essentially unleashed a storm. So tell me then about the storm, because she has a massive following um, of very angry uh, people. (laughs) And... Yep. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's a pretty polite way so to put it, So tell Candace. me about yes. the storm that that
2: ensued. So, okay, so now it's about 7.45 in the morning and I'm still in bed and I watched the clip. I watched the full, well, I, I went right to the part where I was showcased and I was like, OMG, like what in the actual bleep? And I watched the full segment. I tried to wrap my mind around it and then I said to my team member, like, what's happening? And she sent me a few examples of what was coming in. Long story short, it has been weeks since, and it it just flowed down. It has started to peter out, thankfully. Um, However, for weeks, we were relentlessly tormented by messages across all of our channels of hate. And anger and vitriol and abuse and toxicity, racist messages, sexist messages, messages stigmatizing mental health. Like it's really, it's actually been a really fascinating, upsetting. Like I I can get to the upset in a moment because it is upsetting. But it's been also fascinating from the perspective of when people get mad at you for calling out racism. So and I say this uh, because you cannot see me, but I'm a woman of color. My parents are from India. We're Punjabi by culture. I, I call myself a brown girl. Like, I'm visibly very of color, everyone. And then my work in life is to call out racism. It's what I do personally, professionally. Uh, I do this from an empowerment perspective on my, on, for example, on Instagram and on my website, ruthybeseed.com. Like, you'll see, I'm very much empowerment focused. But I also work with organizations around the world around how do you be more inclusive? How do you be more, more anti-racist? The piece that I found that was so fascinating is in the hatred that I was receiving, not only were people saying racist things, but also they were using really sexist, uh, gender-based violence in how they were trying to scare me and put me down and minimize me in addition to calling me things like crazy, insane, like using really stigmatizing inflammatory language as it relates to mental health experiences. And I just, it, it's the first time I've been attacked in this way. And I mean, I, I hear from other social justice activists and other people who are in the, the front lines uh, for whatever reasons, when they, when people come for them, that the the hatred looks really ugly. And so this is the first time in this way I've had people come for me so intensely and the hatred is really ugly and and fascinating. And I, I talk a lot in my work around the intersection between race and gender. So for example, as women, we know, we know, for example, as women journalists, that they constantly get sexist hatred, vitriol coming at them rooted in gender-based violence. It's interesting here, and this this is a good example of the intersection between racism and sexism. The overwhelming majority of the messages, they were upset with me because I'm calling out racism. As a person of color, I'm calling out racism. But to put me down, they were using sexist, gender-based violent language as a way to put me down. They didn't. Yes, some of it was racist for sure, but the focus was: you spoke, you woman of color. I'm going to get mad at you and discipline you, punish you, torment you, abuse you, and I'm going to use gender-based violence as a way to do that. Just really fascinating, fascinating, and like upsetting, obviously, and 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 very
1: um, offensive but also fascinating. One of the things I found interesting about watching um, the interview with her, nine minutes, by the way, I'll never get back in my life having to watch that interview. It was awful. Was how she sort of implies that she's not racist, but then wraps herself up in the language of racism. And, And the things and the way she words things, she is Trying to incite and get a reaction, obviously, from people. And about you in particular, she said, what a terrible way to make a living. That was shocking. Well, like, the irony is like,
2: I have a terrible way of making a living. You're the one who works for box news. Like, I mean, you incite hatred, like for a living. And I'm I'm about love. Like, Candace, I am about love. I want to create a world where as many people as possible experience belonging, feel good in their skin, can exhale, can belong, like, like, that is my jam. It's like, I'm about love. I'm not about hate. Like, you're the one about hate, like, and you're calling my job, like, awful, terrible, like, as if. But you know, I I just, I think it's really interesting how people who watch her, people who intake this type of content, that is directly targeted at creating and inciting hate, really get inspired by these types of hateful, offensive messages, and then they take action, which look like, in my case, coming for me and sending me all kinds of hatred and vitriol.
1: You've been listening to an interview with Ritu Pessin. For the full 30-minute interview, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson. We'll be right back with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.
3: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region about
1: when the pandemic hit in March of 2020 many of us found ourselves navigating unfamiliar terrain the outdoors. Since 2012, Painted Warriors has been reconnecting their customers to the land through wilderness education, hands on training, Indigenous traditions, and stories. As part of our RBC She's the Boss series, I am joined today by co owner of Painted Warriors, Tracy Clettle, who was born and raised in Jasper National Park and now passes on her love for nature to others. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thank you. So tell me, how did you, how did the idea of Painted Warriors come to be?
4: Well, that's really interesting because um, my partner, uh, the other co-owner of Painted Warriors and myself, had worked with my sister's company, Mahican Trails, and we were basically teaching them land-based skills. So we worked with different groups. And then we both kind of started to talk and say, well, you know, maybe we need to take this further and put this into a company. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. And I think at that point in time, we I mean, had no idea it was going to turn into what it is to be.
1: And, and so I w- I do want to note for my listeners that it was hard to get you on this show because you are so busy. Now, was that a result of the pandemic and people wanting to get outside and reconnect with nature, this this surge in business? I feel
4: like that was a really good part of Uh, what happened. And absolutely, I I think, you know, there's always uh, gold or a silver lining in every cloud, isn't there? And I think one of the things about the pandemic is it seems to have made a lot of people take the kind of step back and reevaluate their lives and what's really important to them and and what's missing. And I would say 98% of our customers are coming out to feel that reconnection. And to learn skills, long forgotten skills that, you know, they realized, you know, this is important. These are things that shouldn't be lost.
1: Right. You know, liking a picture on Instagram is not the same as actually getting outside and and building these skills. So what kind of skills do you teach people? The skills that we
4: uh, that we work with the most our areas of expertise I guess would be a better way to explain it is hunting skills uh, and when I talk about hunting this is from an Indigenous perspective because it's quite a bit different than you know a lot of people might think and I mean it's a, it's almost very spiritual so we really try to go into um, every program through our eyes so for example, um, um, hunting skills is about respect for the animal, about the skills actually needed t- and how hard it would have been to hunt. Um, we do archery. We do backcountry horseback um, skills. And we do wildlife identification. And again, every single one of our programs is very different. It's, it's really through an Indigenous perspective. And we're trying to get people to... Kind of walk an old path because somewhere in everybody's past we have this we have these skills and we have these indigenous roots the teachings
1: all center around that and I suspect as well that this is also helping to build bridges and create community teaching these indigenous skills is that true
4: absolutely I think that's one of the most amazing things about our programs is you know people from all walks of life will come out here and I think by the time the program's finished, we realize how alike we, we, all of us really are. And I think there's just this common desire to, to reconnect with nature, to reconnect with each other. And it's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful thing. And like I said, it's that silver lining in the cloud. To- and you also offer glamping. We do. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about glamping. We have uh, some wool tents set up and they're, you know, it's a very, very comfortable staying. We have wood stoves in each of the tents. So if the, the nights are too chilly, um, we could take the chill off with, uh, with our wood stove. Um, and we've actually improved the tents a lot from since we first put them up. We have um, actually queen size beds in some of them with furniture. And we have um, indoor washrooms close by. And the beauty of our little glamping campground is you're still getting the full benefits that need you. You're still waking up to the birds and, you know, going to sleep under the stars. So it's just, uh, and I think it's a great option for people who are thinking, well, I'm not really a camper. I like to get my good night's sleep. So most people that come out have a great sleep.
1: So you can come out and experience, uh, you know, uh, the all of the uh things that you offer for a day trip or stay a couple of nights, correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So if people want to connect with you, Tracy, and come out and and you know get in touch with nature and learn some skills, uh, how can they do that?
4: So we have a wonderful website that we just developed, uh paintedwarriors.ca, and we're also on Instagram under PTWarriors Official. And we have a Facebook page just titled "Painted Warriors.
1: All right. Thank you for Tracy Clettle for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital-first solutions, advice, and services that go beyond banking to help you realize your true potential. Because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash business. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Ann Brody, and you have more entertainment to keep us warm and cozy inside our house as the days get shorter and colder. What do you got for us, Ann?
5: Well, we'll have to wait for Power of the Dog to be at home till December 1st, but it's in Select Theatres now, and this, of course, was the, is the big TIFF hit, starring Benedict Cumberbatch as a cowboy, a very wealthy cowboy. Um, who runs a horse far, and his brother, played by Jesse Plemons, brings home a bride, played by Cle- Plemons' real-life wife, Kristen Dunst. Well, this sets this guy off. I want to talk about the director a little bit, Jane Campion. She makes elegant intellectual films, and this is both those things. But Cumberbatch's cowboy, Phil, is a Psychopath. He cannot bear the fact that there's someone in the house, a, a woman that's not his. Um, he His cruelty to her is is biblical. It's just unreal. And um, her son looks rather effeminate, so he turns on him as well. And he's so manipulative. I don't think I've ever seen a depiction of someone like this in a film. Benedict Cumberbatch just nails it. And of course, he's... Way at the top of the um, awards list possibilities, so it's basically about these people stuck in this house in this ranch, and how they get through the days. Kristen Duck starts drinking.
1: <laughs> it's it's just brutal. Sounds like sounds and, like twenty twenty for most people. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> a <laughs> good
5: old twenty twenty. So yes, um, and there's a there's a psalm that reads, "Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog." So that, to my mind, is Jesse Plemons praying for protection for his wife. It's that it's that cruel.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh, and Benedict Cumberbatch, I have to say, I always I always adore him. No matter what he does, he excels at it. But I want to talk about Dope Sick, because that one I. Um, I'm very interested in that one because it's it's true to life, right? It's based on on what actually happened.
5: Yeah, it's about Oxycontin addiction in Appalachia and Maine and certain other states, um, and how the farm phar- the pharmacy uh, Purdue produced it, knowing it was addictive, marketed it as non addictive, that only one percent of takers would become addictive, when in fact it was five times. More addictive than any existing drug, and they did it knowingly and willfully, so yeah, dope sick is the story of how it became a thing, how Purdue uh developed it, and how they tested it on for instance coal miners, anyone who worked in heavy labor, coal miners um, uh, chopping trees down that kind of thing so that hence they were they wound up in um uh Virginia so Overnight, almost, Michael Keaton's country doctor starts prescribing OxyContin, this new fabulous drug that he's been pushed to sell. Overnight, it seems, the jails fill up, crime goes skyrocketing, and there are a ton of deaths from overdose. So the um, DEA is looking into it. They're not getting anywhere. They kind of give up on it. But there's a a young fellow who who sort of rings the bell to Keaton's doctor and we watch as he un uncovers this thing, lets it get out into the public. And well, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but uh Big business was punished.
1: Well, I, I think we also know how the Oxy Cotton story ended up, so <laughs> there's not really any spoilers with that one. Um, but tell me about the Shrink Next Door because this one I never actually heard of this story, but it's fascinating.
5: True story about a very wealthy fabric merchant in New York, played by Will Ferrell. So he has mental conditions. He's not um, terribly um, sure of himself or terribly mature and he has to be protected his sister protects her well she sends him to a psychiatrist played by Paul Rudd this psychiatrist as in real life insinuates himself into Will Farrell's life names himself president of their fabric company moves into their house sends Will's character back into the sh- woodshed yeah and takes everything, takes ownership complete. This went on for 30 years.
1: 30 years. That's absolutely crazy.
5: I did not want to watch it because I didn't, I really didn't like the way Will Ferrell appears and he, he, he's a victim. He's a, a weakling. And I'm used to him being uh, energetic and strong and funny and witty. And it really hurt to watch. But then you think of someone like that who is so easily manipulated. Um, Just an incredible story. Just incredible. So it's scary.
1: All right. Well, you've got those plus uh, a review about the Brian Wilson documentary out and Clifford the Big Red Dog. Sensational. It looks so cute. It is
5: based on the Scholastic books. So it's, uh, it's a real spirit lifter.
1: All right. Exactly what we need. All right, Anne, thank you so much for joining me and we'll see you again next week.
5: All right. See you next week.
3: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
1: The education system is facing monumental shifts in the coming years with ongoing socio political, economic, and technological challenges to consider. The pandemic, while not the root cause of these outf- outside forces, has definitely helped apply pressure for change to come faster. My next guest, Joanna Johnson, is a teacher, social justice advocate, gender-bending, hat-wearing, running-shoe fanatic who loves to use sarcasm, wit, and a little intelligence to educate the masses on her wildly popular TikTok account, Unlearn 16. Joanna is dedicated to having the hard conversations without the anger and rage that stops so much of our dialogue today and joins me now to discuss how she's teaching in the classroom and on TikTok. Hi, Joanna. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Candace? Thank you so much for having me. So tell me, why did you name your account Unlearn
0: so unlearn, the term is very Socratic. Um, it's the idea that as children, a lot of stereotypes and prejudice and, and ideas are shoved into our head without our consent. And as we get older, I feel that it's our job to pull them out, dissect them, throw them out if need be to make room for actual new learning.
1: Now, did you hop on TikTok when the pandemic started, like most people?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was my students kept trying to tell me to, to do it back way before and they would show me videos and I'd tell them to go away like what are you showing this is not what what am I going to do with this um and then the pandemic and then I was in lockdown and then and then and then and I said you know what let's just and I started out very you know simply I was lip-syncing I wasn't doing any political stuff no social justice stuff I didn't know there was that this amazing side to TikTok where I, I i could find this niche of politics and social justice and empowerment and i found even when i was doing the silly little ellipsis this amazing community of people that were so incredibly supportive and um uplifting that as i just you know one more day one more day one more day, and then i fell into a, i probably a few doug ford rants um and, and I think it might have started because I, uh, you know, I, I look the way I look for your listeners. You know, I, I have the short hair, a bald fade. I have, you know, I wear backy jeans. I do wear the hats. And some people take exception to that. And they take exception on TikTok. And I used to have a bit of fun with them. So I, I would very nicely educate. I, I never got angry, I don't I don't swear, I don't get aggressive, nothing like that. I'd use the occasional sarcastic hun, um, maybe my dude, but, but never get aggressive with it. And a lot of people are like, why are you giving them air? And I'm like, I'm really not. I'm not giving those individuals air. What I was trying to do is anybody who looks like me, different skin color, different um, religion, it doesn't matter what your difference is. Anybody that can be targeted like that, What I'm trying to do is give them a little bit of empowerment from my side. So the next time they face that, maybe I'll be in their head a little bit so they can handle that a little bit better.
1: So as a teacher, you experienced the same sort of thing that your students did when the pandemic hit, you know, being sent home, the disruption to routine. How now do you see the education system evolving uh, because of this. Will we go back to status quo or are there going to be uh, changes coming?
0: I, I also, I have the very big luxury of working in a private school. So I work in a small private school and I'm not, when I say Metro Prep Academy, I'm also not talking about the sort of typical private school with the blazers and the dress code and the Mr. and Mrs. I work at a very alternative private school. So it really is sort of a utopia amongst a lot of other things. Um, For me, I've made a lot of changes with the way that I interact, the way that I teach. I rely a lot less on, you know, sit down and take notes because what I found with, you know, being on Zoom and teaching that way, I made my kids read the notes ahead of time. I made them come up with questions. I made them critically analyze. I made them question me and come up with questions so that the classes at that point started to be discussion and debate because they already did the like work. So I got educated in the sense where I was like, I've really been doing a certain, I've been teaching for 19 years, so I've been doing it a certain way for so long. And I got to a point where this isn't the best for learning, for dialogue, for gaining an opinion of yourself. Um, The public board is a whole different situation. The problem with the public board is funding. And when they have 35 kids in the class, that's that's incredibly hard to surmount. So the kind of education I'm speaking to, which I think has incredible value in power, even if me, exactly me, were to be dropped in a public school classroom with 35, 40 kids, I don't get to teach the way that I teach now because of the dynamic of, you know, a much bigger classroom setting. And I think more education funding is getting cut. They're going to be asked to do more with less. I know public educators are expected to teach to a class and teach on Zoom at the same time. Absolutely asinine. You just can't, you don't, you don't do justice to either. And it's all about at this point, how do we how how does money get saved?
1: So you talk a lot on your TikTok about openly about debate and conversation and listening to the other side. Do you think we're giving that skill enough? focus in the classroom for kids to actually have that skill no
0: absolutely not we're not I mean again I live in a bit of a utopia a bit of it a, like beautiful idea because if I have 35 kids it's a very hard skill to teach and what ends up happening I think you know the kids that are going to do great at school they're always going to do great put them anywhere the kids that don't want to be there trust me they don't want to be there no matter who you are but the 60 70 percent kids in the middle the quiet kids the nice kids they don't cause any problem right those kids are going to get missed in this process because as a teacher of 35 i'm going to get brought over here or brought over there and that kind of dynamic learning isn't going to happen on a on a huge level now am i saying it can't like it's never happening of course not but you have to have a pretty skilled teacher To be able to manage those many, like that many opinion in a classroom, to make sure you're having an intellectual, balanced, respectful dialogue. Because the minute that's gone, you've stopped educating as well, right? I mean, we see how that works with lots of politicians. You can't put 300 of them in the room that nobody's having an intelligent discussion. And so, I think trying to manage all of those ideas and and then really be able to engage in every child's individual opinion perspective viewpoint it's really difficult to do with 35 kids.
1: So here's what I love about your account and you often do this is you um, you know you do get a lot of comments on your on your videos uh, but you don't come back with snark and you always come back with facts. For people, and I really do love that, which is why I follow. Um, so, when you're talking to your students today, uh, and we live in this sort of cancel culture, right? One wrong move, and you're done. Uh, so, how are you teaching your students to open up dialogue and and come have conversations backed up with facts?
0: Well, I think first you have to teach them, and this is the thing: you have to teach them what a fact is. I mean. Look, when I grew up, when I was in university, we didn't have the internet. I know I'm dating myself right now, but I didn't have that, right? So everything I needed to do, I needed to go down to the library and sit there for 17 hours. Now kids can get information at the drop of a dime, but they don't know if it's good information. And we also have this phenomenon where a lot of the more, let's say, extreme views, whatever side of the fence you're talking about, are very noisy and very loud and get a lot of coverage. I know that we have the whole Facebook controversy and and I don't know why that was a surprise to anybody. You know the the concept if it bleeds, it leads. that's been around forever. So why we think that something that draws controversy is now it's so shocking that it's getting headlines? Well, of course it is, because that's what sells papers or whatever form we're talking about here, right? So with my students, um, I make them do one heck of a lot of research. I make them look at their sources. I make them cite their sources. And I and here's the kicker. I ask them to do some critical common sense thinking. My students are, the, the beauty of it is they just want to know, right? They're not positioning themselves in a political agenda. They're not trying to get a television show or trying to be popular over here. So they don't live in that era of what's, you know, what's going to sell and what's not going to sell. They just want to get at more information. And a lot of people think, obviously, I have my own political tendencies, but a lot of people think that that's the only lane I drive in. When in actuality, if my kids are all over to the left, I'm very likely to start raising points on the other side just for the healthy conversation.
1: Something we're lacking uh, big time. And I just had somebody on my show last week, on last week's show, speaking about uh, bringing civility back into into our lives, which we're also missing. Uh, and especially after being in isolation for so long, we're gonna be getting back to together, round tables with people. And we want that civility back in our lives and being able to have healthy debate. I want people to be able to follow you and connect with you because you're amazing. And of course, I want you back on the show for other topics. But in the meantime, where can they find you? And where can they follow along?
0: You can follow me at TikTok at Unlearn16. I actually have a podcast out called Unlearn16. Classes in session. That's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon across the board. Um, I also have Instagram by the same name, Unlearn16.
1: All right, amazing! Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much, Candice. I turn up with
2: my
1: As part of what she said's continued partnership with New Roots Herbal, we're taking a closer look at our mobility today. Despite what you may have heard, joint pain and stiffness does not have to be a fact of life. There is so much that you can do to prevent it and even reverse it so that you can stay active and get back to doing what you love. Dr. Caitlin Richardson, ND, is a Milton, Ontario naturopathic doctor with a clinical focus in sports medicine and performance for women. She believes that all women can take control of their health so that they can continue to kick butt at Everything that they do. She joins me today to discuss. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, tell me, bone and joint health, why is it so important for women in particular?
6: Of course. So, for women, especially as we age, joint health starts to change a little bit. So, right from the time you're about 35 years old, that's when we start to see a little bit of a decrease in bone density. Um, And then often later on in life, you see the osteoporosis. But we actually see that in women over the age of 45, osteoporosis is extremely common, especially in the hands and the knees. And it's something that usually our friend estrogen (laughs) plays a big role in this. So we all know once you hit the menopause years, estrogen declines, and it tends to have a huge impact on our skeletal health and our our, um, joint health as well. So preventing it as we're, when we're younger, will have a huge impact on our joints and bone health later in life.
1: What about when we get to the part where, you know, that is starting to happen and we didn't necessarily do a lot of preventative stuff. Can we do something to
6: help reverse, uh, that, that path? Yeah, absolutely. So there's quite a few things you can do. Um, my favorite is always exercise and diet. So protein is one of the biggest things that I recommend for women. Often we're not getting enough. So for joint health, especially, we really want to take care of our muscles. So protein, protein, protein. <laughs> if our body's not getting enough, we're going to start taking that protein that we need from our muscles. And then we, when we see a decrease in our muscles, we're not supporting the joints as well. And we really need that support, especially as we see... Um, that decrease uh, in the joints. So most women should be getting about 10 to 20 grams of protein every day, or every meal, sorry, (laughs) to support the skeletal system. And then from a supplement perspective, um, which is also really big, my favorite is natural eggshell membrane. So the reason I like the natural eggshell or NEM for short is because it kind of contains all of those supplements that you've probably already heard of. So glucosamine, chondroitin, collagen, and it even helps to lubricate the joints. That one's a big one that you can start taking and you'll notice a difference within seven to 10 days in the joint pain and stiffness. Wow. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) All right. I'm going to be looking, sorry, what's that called again?
6: Natural eggshell membrane.
1: Okay, I've never, I've actually never heard of that. So I mm-hmm. would definitely be looking for that. Um, so what about if there is pain, though, and we need to heal it, you know, the, the pain is already there, we've already hurt ourselves. Um, how can we do that? How can we heal those injuries?
6: Yep. So again, starting with the more diet lifestyle, right away, we all know we ice an injury, or we ice something that hurts, because it really helps with the pain. Um, But we also want to make sure that we keep moving it gentle movement. So swimming, biking, those kind of things, you're getting movement, um, but also helping to build the muscles and keep things um, kind of in good shape. For that, the supplements I usually love actually (laughs) um, curcumin. So that one's a big anti-inflammatory. Most people um know what turmeric is the spice so it's that nice yellow spice that they use a lot in Indian cooking um, so curcumin is the active component of that and it's really helpful for um, decreasing inflammation and the other thing which makes it especially wonderful for women is it can actually help prevent muscle wasting So if you're not using muscles, you'll lose them. So after an injury, when you have pain, if you're not moving and maintaining those muscles, often they start to kind of waste away and and get smaller. But if you're taking curcumin, not only is it taking that pain away, but it's also preventing you from losing that muscle mass, which can lead to further problems down the line.
1: Is is arthritis sort of, um, is that common as we reach menopause as
6: well? Yes, especially in women. Um, we're about three times more likely than men to have arthritis in our hands. Uh, knees as well, we're far more likely. And then hips, it becomes a little bit closer, but still, women are far more likely because of that drop in estrogen.
1: And does collagen help? Because I often take collagen for my skin. I'm not taking it. <laughs> but if it's going to help my joints as well, sure.
6: Actually, yes, I love collagen as well. So what happens when we, you get an injury is, which we know quite well is collagen gets broken down and your bone and joint starts to remodel. Um, and in chronic conditions like arthritis as well, we see that collagen's broken down. So taking it the right supplement, so you want to get a good collagen peptide, um, taking it orally can actually help to um, improve that collagen breakdown, and then you get less stiffness, a little bit less pain. And then, of course, you have that added benefit with the wrinkles or skin and hair health. So it's always worth a try.
1: Now, we're heading into colder weather now, icy conditions, lots of injuries happen over the winter. Uh, any advice for people as we head into those sort of treacherous months of out being out and about
6: to protect our mobility? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, aside from the usual, you know, you can make sure you wear your boots and you have your winter tires on and all that, um, shovel the driveway, including resistance exercises, very, very important, because what that's going to do is, one, stabilize and strengthen the joints, but it also helps to maintain balance. So, if you're working out all those kind of major muscle groups, um, you're really setting yourself up to stay upright <laughs> versus fall. And then even if you do end up having a fall or a slip, the increased muscle mass that you have is going to protect your joints from kind of slipping out of place or um, sustaining an injury.
1: Okay. Caitlin, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, find you and your clinic, where can they go?
6: Yeah. So I work in Milton at a clinic called osteoathletic, but you can also connect with me online, um, Instagram, Facebook, at Dr. Caitlin Richardson. Um, I'd love if you reach out with a message, and my website is also drkaitlinrichardson.com.
1: Okay, and of course, you can find uh, if people listening they can find all supplements that uh, Caitlin mentioned at any natural health food store. And of course, you can look for New Roots Herbal there uh, for all of these products as well. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me today. This is great. Thank you so much for having me.
3: More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region.
1: Is joint pain keeping you from enjoying your favorite activities? Whether it's reducing acute pain and chronic inflammation or rebuilding worn-down cartilage, New Roots Herbal can help. Discover joint pain relief, inflaheal plus, and chondroitin glucosamine from New Roots Herbal. Only the highest quality natural ingredients tested for purity and potency in an ISO-accredited lab. Available exclusively at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label.
3: Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
0: Special
1: people. gift giving is top of mind for all of us right now as the holiday season draws nearer and finding a gift with meaning is always challenging. Tina Fanzo, founder and owner for Fight for Five Charity Bracelets has a solution. She joins me to share the inspiration behind her impactful business that will have you crossing off the two important things on your Christmas list this year. The perfect gift and giving back. Welcome to the show, Tina. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Your bracelets are absolutely beautiful, but I want to know what inspired you to start this business? Well,
7: actually, it was a girlfriend of mine who asked me to come in uh, to help her, and uh, she is the original founder, but unfortunately had to leave uh, to move up north, and it's all mine now, so that was only six months into the business. Oh, so I've been doing it all by myself. Uh, her and I were very like-minded, so I'm very happy to do it. It's a great pastime for me.
1: Okay, so there. this obviously has a give-back component, which makes, you know, you feel really good. You're giving something to somebody and you're giving back. What are the five charities that these bracelets give back to?
7: All right, so I have um, Oceana, which I give to the Canadian division. I have Rainforest Trust also the Canadian division. I have Soy Dog Foundation in Thailand, Save the Elephants in Africa, and Charity Water in New York. So they're all based on animal welfare and planet. Um, And I sell my bracelets for $20 and $10 of that actually goes back to those charities of whichever bracelet is purchased by the customer.
1: Wow, that's incredible. So these are all well-established, not-for-profits yes. that you're giving to, so people don't need to worry about where their money is going, correct?
7: That's right. They all have their seal of transparency. They all put their books online at the end of the year. They've been around some of them since 1998, 2003, 2006. Yep, yeah, they're well-established.
1: Okay, so tell me then, how much money have you donated um, <laughs> since you started this in 2019? So I just finished the books today for October, and I'm at twenty one thousand
7: eight hundred and change so far. That's a lot! Wow, <laughs> that's
1: inc- that's incredible. Yeah. How did you? Do you ever think about expanding to more charities? Or are you going to stick with these five?
7: No, I think I think this is all I can handle, and I I love them all, and they do such good work. So I will stick with these five. But um, you know, ten dollars is quite a lot. To donate from from the bracelet, there really isn't anything left over. So I do it really because I love it, and it's it gives me something to do in my retirement, and it's making a difference. And people love the bracelets; they're all semi precious stones. I make them all myself. That's a lot of bracelets I've made. I can assure you. Uh, but no, I'll I'll stick with these five, and we'll see where it goes.
1: So when you were deciding on charities to contribute to you must have had a hard time. Was there criteria Mm. you used?
7: Yeah, well, uh, that's a good question. So Linda, my partner, wanted Oceana and Rainforest. I wanted Save the Elephants and Soy Dog. And then when we looked at both of those, we realized we didn't have anything specifically geared to people. It was all really animal and planet. And then we chose Charity Water. And then we just said, okay, well, we can't decide between them. So we're just going to have all five. And that's where I decided the name would be Fight for Five. She liked it, and that's where we are. So
1: So all we're hearing about right now, uh, you know, for people out buying gifts, is the supply chain issue. Is this a concern for you?
6: Um,
7: It is, it is. Uh, It's very lucky that I always keep my stock very, very high. I'm going to be able to get through Christmas for sure, but um, a lot of people are having trouble. Some of my suppliers are too. Luckily, I got in. Way ahead, kept everything under control, but it's very true. Things are really backlogged.
1: And yeah. you ship globally, correct?
7: I do. Yes, I, I shipped out to Australia. It was one of my very first overseas orders. That was so exciting. I wanted to take a picture and put it on my Facebook
1: that I was shipping out to Australia. But yes, I do now. Yeah, globally. that's ama- amazing. So now, when people buy one of your bracelets, uh, do does each bracelet have a charity, or do they choose their charity? when they're checking out.
0: Right,
7: right. So they they will choose their bracelet. Um, each bracelet depicts the charity. So the design has been made to actually uh, represent the charity. So for example, Save the Elephants will be all gray beads with two little uh, beige tusk-like beads and a little elephant with the mama on it. Uh, soy Dog will have a dog paw and it will be in the colors of the dogs and the um, logo color for Soy Dog, that type of thing. So once they choose their bracelet. That's where the money goes. And I pack it up in a really nice little envelope with a little sticker that says you've just donated $10. And inside the envelope is a lovely story about the charity, uh, how to clean your bracelet, and um, what the beads do for your body and a little bit about me, but not much because that's not really important. It's the other stuff that's important. And that's that's the kit there. So. Amazing.
1: Tina, I love this. And really this year more than ever, giving a gift with meaning is so important. So I want people to be able to find you. So where can they do that? Well, I do, ha- I do a lot of live markets and particularly I'll be at the Toronto Zoo December
7: 10th, 11th and 12th. So if you people love animals out there and the planet, you should pop in. To the Toronto Zoo great place to take your kids and also I have my website uh, fightfor5.org you can uh, follow me on Facebook fight for five as well and fight for five and go is my Instagram but the markets are always the best you get to see the product live that information is all on my website as well and I get to talk to the people and engage and have a little bit of fun too so so that's where you can find me so please please come to the Toronto Market and Toronto Zoo and see all the other vendors too Incredible.
1: Thank you so much for joining me today, Tina. I love what you're doing. Uh, this was a pleasure. Thank you, Candace. Thank you so much. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.
3: Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059Theregion.com.
1: It is your favorite girl. That's right, it's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating, and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex.